0: Welcome to Under the Radar, a show about independent iOS development. I'm Marco Arment. And I'm David Smith. Under the Radar is never longer than 30 minutes, so let's get started. So today, what we wanted to talk about is the way in which we manage and deal with getting feedback um, on our products, on our apps, both in terms of from customers. um, But I think one of the things that I really wanted to unpack a little bit is the way that we we handle feedback when products are in their earlier stages, so things like beta testing or early interactions with customers. Uh, Because something that I find really complicated when I'm developing an app or developing a major update is I will have in my mind a vision for what I want that update to do, with the, what I want the app to do. And I kind of am working towards that. I'm working towards that. But at, in this early sort of like embryonic state, it's only in my head and in the little prototypes and the little bits of code that I'm building. And something significant, though, happens the first time you ever show it to someone else, um, even beyond just telling someone the idea. But when you actually show them something and you give them something to react to, to, the way that you think about the app seems to change for myself because suddenly it has their feedback, their suggestions, their ideas start to be kind of mixed in and muddled along with mine. And so something that I've learned is that I have to be really, really careful about how I get that feedback, at what point I get that feedback, and the way in which I sort of manage it. Because what I don't want to do is take too much feedback too quickly and kind of lose that vision for what I want to do, where uh, what I want the app to be or what I want the update to be. And so it's something that I, it's a weird discipline that I think you kind of have to learn. And I was curious, though, if you've had a similar set of experiences, how do you go about kind of pulling in that feedback?
1: During early development, I will usually, you know, ask close friends for input on certain basic decisions about it, the basic feature decisions, how things might be structured, what features might need to be necessary or unnecessary. And then I, I've recently, in recent years, gotten really a big fan of medium-sized private betas. For me, the, the, the private beta is extremely useful. And I've, I've done a number of, of sizes of betas. I, I first, you know, in the early days of Overcast, I was doing a beta of like, I think like 20 people. I've also since then done betas with... 800 people because test flight allowed you to do a thousand now it's actually two thousand but um so that i did like 800 people on, on a beta that was like i basically had a public sign-up form and just would let, let almost anybody in more recently i've done much smaller betas going back to that original size of like 20 to 40 people again and what i found is that the the quality of the feedback doesn't actually seem to change significantly with the size of the beta and <laughs> which is counterintuitive but it seems like You can show the app to a relatively small number of people, and you'll pretty much get all the feedback you need from a small group. And and, you know, maybe maybe not a small group of like two, but ten or twenty people, if they're actually going to use it and give you feedback, which is a separate point. But if they're actually going to use it and give you feedback, you don't need that many people involved in the group. Now, the feedback you get tends to be. Really focused uh, or really heavily weighted towards upfront feedback, uh, right? The very first time somebody uses a beta, because and I I don't know if other if other people do this, but I do this. Where if somebody gives me a beta, I will usually take a lot of time going through the app that very first time and giving pretty detailed feedback to them. But after that first time, as more updates come in, I very rarely ever take that amount of time again, unless I you know spot an obvious bug, then I can you know screenshot it, send it to them, whatever. But General feedback about about a beta or about an app, I usually it's usually front loaded, and I found that to be the case with most of my testers as well. So, what I will usually do is, if I can, I will have a few new testers in every group. And TestFlight allows you to, to see who among the group didn't install the latest few versions. Like it'll, it'll tell you the last version each person installed. So if I see some of my testers losing interest, uh, you know, like if they if they just don't install the updates or if the last update they installed was like five builds ago, I'll just quietly remove them from the list because and it's no hard feelings, you know, because I do that all the time. I always fall out of betas all the time because I I lose interest or I don't have time in, in that in that month or whatever. So I usually will cut people who who kind of aren't using it. And, you know, no hard feelings. A lot, a lot of times they're my friends. I don't I don't even you know, doesn't doesn't matter. No hard feelings. Um, and then I will add a few new people every time because it it allows me to get that that initial impression, like somebody's first impression of this app. It allows me to have that ongoing throughout the process rather than showing it all to the same group of people right up front and never bring any new
0: people in along the way. So I've only recently started doing beta testing properly at all, I would say. like The most recent update I did for Pedometer++ was the first time I'd ever done a big update a, a big beta test before i launched something big and you know was the, before that it, it had only really been i would inst, you know give it to, i would have it running on my my own phone maybe my wife's um maybe a few like a, one or two other people um and honestly then on a lot of testing devices but i'd never had that experience of having this big kind of like wide like i did a similar kind of thing like i just said anybody who wants to beta test Panometer plus plus let me know and i went to test flight and i put them all in And I had an interesting thing that was sort of like similar to your experience where you get this big wave of comments and this big wave of feedback uh, early on, um, and then it sort of dies down. And then actually what I found is you ended up with another wave like a week later with sort of like the, huh, now that I've been using it for a while, here's like some other thoughts. And I would say that I had a very similar kind of experience to you insofar as there's only a certain number, amount of feedback was actually helpful. Um, And like beyond that, it... You start to get a lot more repeats. You start to get a lot more tangential things. But like at its core, what I found helpful in the beta test was validating, A, that the app works and is functional um, in the way that I need it to be. And then, two, it's validating that it's a good idea, that people are – like, I'm not getting the, like, what? This doesn't make any sense. Or people who have used the app before and going to this version are like, this doesn't make you – know you you're totally breaking the thing that made the app good before. Um, because I think those are the things that I find that I struggle with as myself, because I've been working on a, say I've been working on an update for for several months. My experience with the app at that point becomes almost exclusively the new version of the app and not what the existing version in the app store is. Um, and I can tend to lose sight of the distance that I'm creating between those two things because I never go back to or other than for like my final acceptance testing. Like I won't go back to the app store, download the version and run that for a few days. Like that's just not typically the way I do it because obviously I'm constantly running development builds on my own machine. And the feedback that I got was kind of that was most helpful is when I have someone who's like, so I used the old version yesterday and I used the new version today. And this felt weird by going from there to there. And, like, those types of feedback are things that are really hard for me to do because, like I said, I have this whole new vision for the app. I've imagined and built features around this whole new thing, and that's what I'm used to. And months later, like, I'll, sometimes the weirdest one is when you go back to the App Store version, you're like, what is this? Like, I can't believe – not even necessarily like, oh, I can't believe this shipped. But, like, whoa, this is different. Like, this functions in a different way. This has um, lots of other issues. And so – that was something that I learned from this feedback. It was like, i will get these little like, huh, this was weird coming from that. And that's helpful both in terms of from a development perspective, but then also from in terms of what questions are my beta testers going to have about the app? Um, how, what's weird to them? What's new to them? And then when I take that feedback, I can structure my documentation or my like release notes or things to be like, if you're coming from the old version to the new version, you might find this weird. If you find this weird, this is the answer to your question. But that's something that I was never able to do before I was able to find TestFlight. Like I have a broader audience and something that I definitely now I think will use going forward. Whereas before I always view TestFlight as like, oh, it's beta testing. It's just like making sure that there's no crashers. It's making sure there's not a lot of things. Um, But understanding customer perspective changes from the old to the new was really helpful.
1: But even when starting out new, I mean, the, the initial overcast beta I did for, for 1.0 before the app was out was uh, incredibly valuable, incredibly, because when you're developing an app, when you're only using it yourself, you know, like, like you mentioned, I, I do the same thing where like I'll, I'll just use it myself for like, you know, months and, and as soon as I can get it running on my phone, that'll be, I, I will use it myself full time. Uh, and it, when you're developing the app yourself, you know how to use it and you know what you did. So everything makes sense to you. And when you first show it to beta testers, especially for a 1.0 where they are not familiar with the app before, uh, the the most valuable perspective I got was what doesn't make sense or what is being misunderstood from what I intended. And I made tons of interface improvements and tons of changes during that initial test. You know, I thought that a beta test would just be like, oh, just let me know if anything crashes or breaks and then I'll, I'll ship it in a few weeks. And it turned out to be months long because everybody gave really good feedback about, you know, this doesn't really make sense, or I don't understand what this is, uh, and, and the app, I, I dramatically improved the app. It, it was almost like shipping at version 2.0, uh, you know, rather than shipping 1.0, because I had such great feedback just by asking people. And again, you don't need, to, this is only a group of like 20 people. It doesn't need to be a big group. It just needs to be people who aren't you. Because you uh, you get everything you did because you did it and you designed it, and as soon as you show anybody else, you immediately will see the flaws in what you did because you will see them either struggling to to understand what you did or misinterpreting things or missing entire big features because they just don't see them or they don't they don't see why they would need them or something um, and it's great like my my effects panel. Uh, in overcast looked totally different when when i shipped the 1.0 beta the very first beta um voice boost didn't even exist by that name it was actually a a boost slider and it it had four different modes and (laughs) and and smart speed was you know it was there but everything was kind of rearranged differently and and over time and, and the the wording the the labels were all different and over that beta i was able to really refine that panel reduce voice boost down to either an on or an off, which was actually its it was its strongest setting. I just I realized halfway through development, like, you know, actually I always just leave it at the strongest setting because that's the best. So, <laughs> like I'll just eliminate the other ones and just make it the strongest setting and and it, you know, stuff like that would reduce user confusion in the beta. I, I rearranged major parts of the interface during the beta. Um the directory was was dramatically changed and added to during the beta. I mean, so many things in the interface, so many changes, so many, you know, wording of microcopy in the interface and everything. So much of that was improved simply by asking people like hey you know what do you think of this and and watching watching what they said and seeing what they got and what they didn't get and what they misunderstood under the radar this week is sponsored by ImageX, imgix. com slash utr. ImageX is basically it's hosted image processing and imagery sizing. So, so you kind of give them like a back end source of images, whether it's your web server, an S three bucket, or even just arbitrary URLs that you sign and have them process. Then you can just serve their URLs for that for those images in your apps, on your websites, anywhere that you that you need an image served over HTTP. And you can do real-time processing on that image just by URL parameters to their service. So I use ImageX. I I used it for a while um, for overcast thumbnails. It is a fantastic service for just basic things like resizing. All I need to do with overcast thumbnails most of the time is resize them and serve them over a fast CDN. And it does that flawlessly. I have no complaints about that at all but also what it does a little more fancy stuff like for instance you can serve you know automatically serve different dpi to different screens so like if you have uh, a, a device that it has a Retina screen versus one that doesn't, it can automatically serve the right DPI to that to not waste bandwidth or to not look bad. Um, you can automatically serve things like like uh, the WebP format to devices that support WebP. Uh, things like that. There's all sorts of great stuff you can do automatically, and then also you can actually adjust the images by using those URL parameters. So you can do things like you know change the colors, uh, crop them in different ways, rotate them, add annotations. I mean, there's so much you can do with this. Pretty much any kind of like image filtering tag. That you can do so much uh, editing technique you can do here just by changing URL parameters and it all runs on their proprietary system that is all like GPU accelerated. It's, it is so fast. I've never seen an image processing CDN that works this, this quickly, and that's why I use them. ImageX's API is very easy to use. I just wrote my own thing myself to do it in like one function. But if you want any other kind of library support, they have tons of libraries for different languages, uh, including one for Swift from the developers over at Hodinki. So check this out, imagex.com, that's I-M-G-I-X dot com slash U-T-R for Under the Radar. Thank you very much to ImageX
0: for sponsoring our show. Once you're out of this beta phase, like you've gotten all this good feedback from your beta, then you have the interesting thing of how do you transition to feedback from customers more generally? So you're kind of you're past this point where, fair enough, you've got all this great feedback from a small group of people. You open something up, you put it out as a broader update to lots of people. And then things get really interesting, or at least least complicated, because suddenly you have lots and lots of customers who all have different visions for your app. Um, all have different goals for your app. And just by the volume of, like, the virtue of having so many numbers, like, hopefully your app is going to have thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions. Like, you're going to have such a wide and varied user base at a certain point that the feedback you get and the way you collect and manage that becomes like an engineering problem in and of itself. It's something that I've, over time, had to kind of wrap, maybe become more comfortable with, the understanding that I'm never a I'm never going to make everybody happy like that's just a given like right off the bat if you ever are kind of trying to build an application catering to everybody you're going to end up building like a terrible application because you just can't do it you're never going to make something that uh, makes everybody happy but you still are going to get a lot of feedback and that's a good thing like when you get feedback from a customer you know they send you an email and say hey I love the app I wish it did X. Like that's a good sign. That means they like the app enough to open up an email their email client, then write down something thoughtful, and it's a big enough part of their life that they see it as something that could be better, could more fully meet their needs, and that's a good thing. But I've definitely gone down the rabbit hole many times where I'd look at that feedback and I'd be like, oh yeah, I should do that, I should do that, I should do that. And you can end up with a product if you kept if you kept saying yes to every bit of that feedback. Like by version two or three or what, you know, several updates down the road, your app is going to look nothing like what it really was, especially for uh, for, like a smaller shop. Like what makes my app good typically is their like simplicity and the design around being really accessible because I can't build big, monolithic, massive structures because I'm just one guy. I have to always be fighting that tension. And so typically what I'll end up doing is I'll say, hey, thank you for the feedback. I appreciate it. It helps like inform my future decisions. Um, but I never say, or very rarely will say, "Like yes, absolutely, that's a great idea. I will definitely do that. It will be in the next update. Unless it's something, of course, that I'm already working on. But being able to say no to people was something that I definitely had to learn. It was something that I really struggled with early on. Um, how do you deal with feedback from people like the more general public to your apps? You have to consider when you get feedback, you know, when
1: somebody is asking for a feature or asking for a change, it's easy to look at that and say, oh, well, if I can add this feature or if I can change the app to work in this way, then I will get X number of people that will be happier with the app or that might buy it who wouldn't buy it before if you keep following that trap, as you said, like it's very easy to basically have like the, the Microsoft office 97 toolbar of app features, you know, (laughs) you get to have like this giant wall of features, really massive settings areas and, and tons of tons of just complexity and, and burden in the app. And that can very easily overwhelm, not just an independent developer, but also the users who have to see all those options and don't understand them or might, or might configure them wrong uh, and not understand how they got there. and, And so what you have to consider when when you have people saying, oh, if only it had this feature, I would be happier, there are many people who are already happy with the app the way it is. And if you add things to it, or if you change the way things work, they might become less happy with the app. And so that's always been a very tricky balance for me with Overcast, because when I made Overcast, it was in part in response to what I was seeing from so many podcast apps at the time, which was just so much complexity in the interface and the settings and everything and I, I wanted to make something simpler. A lot of people use Overcast because it was simpler at the time, you know, and, and now, you know, that now there's, there's a lot of great podcast apps now, many of which are that simple <laughs> but, but at the time that was like a unique selling point for Overcast and I, I never want to ruin that and, you know, not only for for myself and for my customers, but also just, like, for the quality of the app. Like, if I add too many features, the app gets worse because it's harder to navigate. It's more complex. There's more edge cases that I might not be able to test as reliably as I, as I test the core functionality. It is v- it's a very tricky balance. Like, in, in 2.0, I added streaming. And I thought it would be amazing if you could just tap any episode. And before, tapping an episode would just download it if you didn't already have it downloaded. And you'd have to wait for it to download before it would play. And in 2.0, I think, well, now I have a streaming engine. So if you tap on an episode now, I'm just going to start playing the episode. Just start streaming it. And that'll be amazing. And to me, it was amazing. But the, the number one feedback I've gotten for 2.0 has been... How do I turn that off and just go back to the old way of doing it? Because I, I want to just go download a bunch of stuff. I don't want to start playback immediately. Now downloading things requires two two steps. You have to like, you know, tap the info button and tap downloads. Look, like now I've made the way that people used to do it a little bit harder because I thought the new way was better. But not everybody thinks so. And so now And so now I have to weigh this decision of like, well, do I add another option for that? Do I change the interface to be more like kinda like like the way when you when you tap a tweet in TweetBot, it rather than going directly to something, it expands a little like button panel below it. I've thought about maybe doing something like that. Um, there's now I have I have this problem I need to solve. And no matter how I solve it if I leave it the same as it is now, or if I add a setting to just toggle the old behavior back on, which I think is kind of the worst way of doing things, or leave it the way it is now, in which case the, you know, somebody's angry or the app is slightly worse, or I can do the, the TweetBot button row thing when you tap an episode cell, which will anger the people who like the streaming immediately approach, because now I'm, adding, I'm making that two taps for them <laughs> instead of one. So none of these are perfect. And that's the thing. When, when you're facing app design decisions like this, and when you're dealing with people's feedback, nothing you do will be perfect. Nothing you do will satisfy everybody. And so you basically just have to fit. You kind of have to develop a sense yourself, and you can you can see the results too. But you kind of have to develop a sense yourself of what will probably please the most people and result in the best app. I feel like it's it's relatively counterproductive to think too much about what were people accustomed to before, because all your new customers just see the new app. And the app, the app as a thing, the app as a concept, is what it is today, not what it was two years ago. And so even as you're bringing your customer base forward through updates, I always think it's way more important to have a better app today and a better app for tomorrow than it is to please everybody who wanted everything done the old way. So as I'm weighing this feedback about overcast streaming versus downloading when you tap on the thing, I'm not really considering... You know, do I do I give that option to people to just toggle it back the way it, the way it was before? Because that that to me is like losing the quality fight. Because that is just adding another option that new new people will go into the app not knowing or caring what that does. If they accidentally turn it on, the app will start behaving differently, and they'll think it's weird. And if they don't, if they didn't remember how they turned it on, so I'm not really considering that option. I'm more considering like probably doing the tweetbot button row thing instead, because I think overall, if I was starting from scratch. Now that I have many different things you can do on an episode, rather than just tapping it to download it, that is probably the best approach, so that's probably what I'm, what I'm going to do, because I'm thinking about what, what, what will make the best app if somebody looks at it for the very first time, not how do I please everybody throughout history, because not only is that not good for app quality, but it's impossible.
0: And I think it also speaks a little bit to one of the other traps that I know I've run into a lot with feedback, is the trap that it's very easy to overweight the feedback you get proportional to your, the size of your user base. So like the only people you hear from are the people who are typically very upset or very happy. And the entire like middle of your user base, which is probably in many ways, the more important group of your user base um, you'd hear nothing from. It's I've definitely fallen into the trap several times where like I'll get a a feature request like once a week for like six weeks and from, you know, from, from six different people. And because it's happening at this sort of interval in my mind, it's like, Oh wow. People are, could keep asking for this. This must be really important. But then you take a step back. It's like six people have asked for this feature. (laughs) Like the app has 1.4 million users and six people have asked for it. Like it's, very hard to not conflate those things and make it feel like wow this is really important because the only people you hear from like there's this self-selection for like people who want things changed whereas all the people who want status quo or at least who are happy with what it is you never hear from and that's a really funny dynamic that you then have to have to like balance with and get comfortable with to say like Okay, like, is this when? It, like, if I get like what it, what it actually is, a lot of feedback. Like, it is has like ten percent of my user base reached out to me to ask me for a feature. Like, if they do, like, that's probably worth paying attention to. I've probably never gotten feedback beyond like every t- every now and then where you'll accidentally like ship a horribly cra- horrible crashing bug, in which case, fair enough, you hear from a lot of people saying fix the crashing bug, and you know that's like good feedback. I will definitely fix. But in general, like you just you just kind of have to go with it. And I think where to wind this down is the focus on in order to build software, I think you have to be able to have a vision for what you want the app to do. Like you're trying to build this vision. Maybe it's a bit a bit abstract, but it's like you want to have someone to like they know it's yours. They know what the app is like. It has a personality. Maybe that's the right way to say it's like you're trying to create this persona that your app has. And doing things that ultimately will be counter to that persona are probably going to be counterproductive. When you get feedback that are people who are like, "It's like I like your app, but I want it to be something else." It's like they really want your app to be a different person, to have a different personality. And you have to then build this, you know, this the, the like the confidence even to say, "No, this app is about." This like it's about simplicity and uh, focus and ease of use, or it's about you know maybe it is a really strong like complicated advanced thing. In which case, it's like yeah, let's we, every feature I can think of, all the settings, all the options, the more the better. But you need as a developer to have that confidence to be able to say like this is what my app is, this is the way it should work, and to then just be able to go with that and make that work. Sounds good. All right, I think that's it for this week. Thank you very much for listening.
1: Uh, Please rate us and over, or please recommend us on Overcast and uh, tell your friends about our show. Help us grow. And uh, we'll talk to you next week. Bye.